Hello, everyone. Welcome back to MCG Rants. I'm Tenon Grace. Enjoy your Ross Miriam. I am exhausted today, Ross Miriam. I don't know about you. Uh, I've been traveling a ton. I know that we haven't gotten an episode in a while. I'm really sorry for our fans and everybody that's listening. We have been unbelievably busy, and I want everybody to yeah. know the amount of effort I put <laughs> in to make this episode happen. I have been in Baltimore for the last six days. Uh, got in last night, like, did my laundry, went to bed. Woke up this morning, went to the gym. I'm now recording with you. It's, a little, it's like 2 in the afternoon on a Tuesday for me. I leave tomorrow morning at like 9 a.m. to fly to Minneapolis to do that all over again for like a week and don't get back till, you know, a week from yesterday. I get back on Monday. And I am dead mentally. I've had to, like, <laughs> I've had to prepare for these events as well because there's brand new formats in all of them and I have to know the names of all the cards. So I have to memorize because like, are you like me? When I see a card, I see the way it looks. I know what it does. And like, that's it. Like, I don't need to know the name. Yeah, I actually have to play with the cards to start learning Same. the card names usually. Like so, a, a couple drafts in, yeah. I'll usually know most of them. I'm probably 20 to 30 drafts in this set, maybe more, and I still don't know the name. And so, it, and, and every card is weird, too. It's either like Timon and Pumbaa or something, you know, like it's got like some yeah. weird name. Or it's, there's 17 cards that start with The Invasion Of. And I'm like, <laughs> and a few that are easy. Like, remember, right, it's like Kaladesh gives minus 13, minus 13. Or not Kaladesh, uh, Innistrad. That's Innistrad, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it has a uh, tragic slip. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But then it comes to some play, and I'm like, I don't know where the fuck that is. I've never heard of this place <laughs> in my life. I've never <laughs> been there. I've never heard of that place. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into uh, what we're going to be covering today, which we're just going to catch everybody up on what's been going on in our lives. There's, there's a bunch going on. This is going to be a lot of magic talk, as well as there were a ton of previews put out today. And I know that you and I talk about preview fatigue, but... This is for the Aftermath, Mom Aftermath set. It it actually looks pretty damn cool. Henceforth known as the Pinkerton set. The Pinkerton, sure. Uh, I think one <laughs> of the phrases I heard them talk about today, what was it, is the epilogue sets is what they're talking about. This is going to be a thing that's actually going to be a common in the future, apparently. Like, okay. it's going to happen more of it. Yeah, I, I, it sort of allows them to, you know. Fill in the gaps and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things they've, I think that uh, they are missing out on since they've gone completely away from are mostly away blocks. from blocks yeah. is like their ability to, you know, build on the themes into really a second and, and third set. So this lets them yeah. build a little bit yeah. in, into some cool cards and tell a story a little bit more as well. Yeah. Tie up loose ends. Uh -huh. So it, it makes sense. I'm, you know, obviously it's more product. Watsy likes to pump out product, but yeah. And we're only going to cover the cards that were officially spoiled by the Twitter today, because before the show, Ross and I were talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I, I loved all the cards. There's so many previewed. And he's like, you went the mythic spoiler, did you? Cause it has the cards up that got spoiled like a week or two ago from the, the, the Pinkerton thing that you yeah. referenced. Cause I was like, yeah, now that you mentioned it, a few of the pictures had fingers in them where like someone's holding the card and like <laughs> probably not officially spoiled yet. So let's let's be careful with that. You know, we on the show we don't like to spoil people, even on spoilers, et cetera, et cetera. That was a mouthful. All right. So um I know you've been a little busy yourself lately. What's been going I, on? I mean, I, I've also been not on the road all three weekends, but I've been busy all three weekends uh -huh. since we had SEG Richmond, then um the then I was doing mana charges coverage with Corey, so that one's no travel, but I'm you know over at his place, and it was we it's did a, the it's open multi day thing, yeah, yeah, it not but it was also the biggest mana charges event thus far because they didn't do the sort of feeder things that they normally do, yeah, you have to like play a, a bunch and you know sure uh, in their events to qualify. So normally we're used to like a seven round event, so we'll do a seven seven rounds of Swiss and then you know three round top eight the next day. This they decided to experiment and do it open, you know anybody could join. And so it was a 10-round, you know, 460, 470-person tournament. 
and we did seven rounds of Swiss on day one, th- finished up the Swiss on day two, and then did the cut to the top eight. So we did three extra rounds, um, you know, more than we normally would. I actually, I slept through my alarm. Oh, wow. So I, I'm, so I'm normally we, we went live at 10. So, you know, Corey just tells me like, get there like nine, nine 30, uh, because I just have to be there for like a sound check. Sure. And yeah, you want to make sure everything's good. Good. Yeah. To go. Yeah. I didn't wake up till like nine 25 and I, and Corey lives on the other side of Roanoke for me. And you don't own a car. Yeah. And it was raining. <laughs> so, so it is. I, I wake up, I realize what's happening. I immediately call a lift. I brush my teeth. Do not take a shower. Uh, yeah, you know, change change it to what I'm wearing that day, and I have to like you know put on a, a jacket and, and you know actually like get reasonably dressed. And uh, fortunately, my room uh, my roommate Chris actually woke up early and told me to cancel the lift. He would give me a ride over there because the lift was kind of taking forever. I ended up getting there at like nine fifty seven, far going yeah. live at ten. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I literally like, got there, went downstairs, exi- uh, his setup's in the basement, and uh-huh. sat down, and we were live within 15 seconds of <laughs> me sitting in the chair. I'm having, like, anxiety attacks listening to this because of how much coverage I oh. do and how close you are. Yeah, I, I forgot the best part. Sure. We're, we're on Corey Street. I'm in, you know, in Chris's car, and we just, there's, it's a Saturday morning. Yeah. And there's just a line of cars on the street, like 10 deep. And it's like traffic slows. And we're just like, what the hell is going on? Was there an accident there? We like, can't really see. There's somebody standing in the road at the last, literally the last possible turn before you get to Corey's house. Like we're, we're a block away. And they're like directing traffic. And we're like, what the, what is going on? I'm looking at at the time on my phone. And I'm thinking like, do I have to get out and, ru- and like run? Or like walk it the rest of this way to like get there in time, and it, it cleared up enough that that we did it. I don't know exactly what was going on. It looked like there was an event down by a church because there were a bunch of car. Like if you look down the street that they were directing traffic to, there was a you know, a bunch of cars parked on the lawn. So there must have been some church like church event there. But like it was just comical that we're like we're like right there, and it's nine fifty five. And I'm just like, everything's conspiring to beat you. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like being in an airport and you're like late for your flight, and you're just yep. like get trying to get through security. And it's just like okay, like where is it? What gate am I going to? You know, you uh-huh. start like running through the airport with your luggage. But yeah, yeah. So that too many times, honestly. Unfortunately, yeah, I d- d- did that, and then last weekend I was in, uh, you know, in Caldwell for the Apex Gaming five. They held a five K. So I was doing commentary again with Todd. Uh, Director Rob actually made the trip with us. Just wanted to sort of get out of the house for the weekend. So he, he yeah, just played. That, yeah. And we uh, we did commentary their 5K modern on Saturday. And then Sunday played a Pioneer 1K with some with a bounty on our head. Um, mm-hmm. I I gave away a lot of bounties. <laughs> we uh, was not we did not do well. Yeah. I, d- I tried playing the Neoforma Traxa deck. And... Well, you, you might have done well considering. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it's debatable if you did well or not. I, I ought to say... You know, we've we talk a lot about the like weekend events and how like playing on Sunday is so much harder because you've been playing Magic all weekend and your brain is kind of fried, especially at our you know advanced age. But it's the same thing trying to you know do commentary all day the day before and then play a tournament the next day. Uh, I I kept playing yeah. these like long, really good games and then I would just make some small mistake at the end and lose. Yep. I was like, God damn it! <laughs> I yeah. didn't. Th- I, th- 
I, I'm, I'm casting two mana Atraxes. I didn't think my games would be this hard. <laughs> yeah. I think people don't realize like how actual draining coverage is and just how exhausted we are. Um, yeah. Your your story about this weekend really made me remember an event that I did. I think it was last year. It was in Cincinnati, if I remember right. And it was like one of the first limited ones. I think it was the first limited one where we were actually covering the drafts, you know, kind of like you used to watch old school of Magic. You know, we had the camera set up and we walked through the drafts with the players. So, like, Saturday night happens. We're going to come back Sunday morning. We're going to do it. You know, we did sealed or whatever day one. We're going to do drafts day two. And I'm super excited about covering a draft. So, I wake up to my phone ringing. I'm like, and I just answer with my like, hello. And they're like, hey, man, where are you? I'm like, I'm in my bed. What's up? They're like, uh, we're live in like 30 minutes or like 20 something minutes. I'm like, what? You know, like, I had slept through my alarm or it just didn't go off or something. So, I get up, I run in the shower for like, you know, like literal, just get myself wet, like wet my hair, yeah. you know, get out, style it, jump in the suit, called an Uber as I'm doing all this, get in the Uber, run to the site because I'm like a mile away or something like that. And um, it was a lot like you. Like I'm physically running through the the site. People are like, you know, looking at me. Someone tries to stop and talk to me. I'm like, can't, you know, because I'm running. Because like, uh, because one of the other casters uh, wasn't feeling well. Also, it was the first time casting for my other two people who were in the booth with me. So like. I needed to be in there as much as possible, you know, yeah. like leading the way and stuff. So it's really funny. Like you could, en you could envision the booth, right? Like the, the table that we're sitting at and sure everybody's seen these at the events where one person sitting there with their headphone on looking at the screen. I come sprinting in, like slide around the corner into the seat in yeah. one motion, put the headset on, like bring it a sweat. Doing like, like a hello and hazard kind of thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> hello and welcome to Cincinnati. They too, if they, you know, the call, like blah, 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 just immediately get into the, and like everyone all, I can see the preserver just like laughing and losing their shit. Because, like, as I'm running, I'm telling them, I'm, like, I'm doing the let's go, let's go, let's go motion. Like, I'm like, I can do this. Like, I don't need to sit down, like, whatever. You know, because I'm like, because I told them, I was like, get the mic checks done, get everything done. We're going to fire off as soon as I walk in the building, right, kind of yeah. thing. And it was just hilarious how seamless you can just jump into it. Um, Speaking of this weekend, you know, I was doing a career for Flesh and Blood for the Pro Tour. It was really awesome. Saw a ton of familiar faces from Flesh and Blood and from Magic. Um, Collins Mullins actually did really well at the event. He didn't top eight, but he was like in contention late today too, which is really cool to see him. Um, there's a bunch of people there who came up and talked to me. You know, they were like, you know, hey, blah, blah, blah. I'll see you in Minneapolis next week. Like a lot of the judges, a lot of the players and stuff. Like a lot of yeah. people were just like, I didn't even go. They're like, I'm not even going home. I'm just going straight from Baltimore. I'm sorry, but I, I booked before I knew that I was going to Minneapolis for something because I'm not actually casting Minneapolis. I'm going to be behind the scenes for this one and doing some other jobs that I'm not as excited for as I would be, you know, doing what I normally do. It's, it, you know, I got the email from Paul Chion and he was like, look, I know this isn't, you know, what you do. We don't have an opening there. Because if you think about, yeah, you know, the coverage team their, the their coverage group pretty well set at this point. Yeah, with... they've had like one new person yeah. last decade or something yeah. like that, you know. And another thing is like, who would I replace? They're all insane. Like, they're all just like absolutely yeah, good that's, at their that's jobs. That's a pretty, pretty, you know, it's pretty stacked. nice crew they've got there. Yeah. And, stacked. That's a good were, way of putting it. Yeah, and they and they all work great together. Like I don't even know. Like that's what I'm saying. Someone's like, "Oh, you're you're not doing." It. I'm like, "Yeah." Like, who, who would I replace? They're all like great, you know. But um, you know, I'm I'm gonna give it a try. See 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 how it is. Um, I'm a little nervous because like I don't even know who to like talk to, who to report to. When do I show up? Like, what do I wear? <laughs> Somebody like send out some emails today about that. But um, I want to talk about the best play that I saw all weekend long at the Flesh and Blood Pro Tour, and everyone here is gonna be able to appreciate it. Because nothing to do with like an actual play made by cards in the game. You can you, you'll get it when I tell the story. So it's Sunday, uh, Pro Tour top eight. If you've ever watched a Pro Tour from Magic in the past, it's the exact same thing. You know, we start on Friday. There's a cut. We start on Saturday. Saturday, the same thing happens. You know, we do drafts 
constructed, draft constructed, cut, cut. You know, it's the exact thing that you, every program you've seen in the last, what, 12, 14 years since they started doing that? Something yeah. like that, whatever. So we're about halfway through the day. We're into the semifinals in the top eight. And uh, the two casters that are set up to go next is a person named Brendan Patrick, and then it's uh, Brian Gottlieb, who everybody knows for Magic. You know, he like actually works for LSS and helps design. He's like one of the lead designers now. Helps like design Flesh and Blood and stuff. And he comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, like I'm supposed to do this round with Brennan, but uh, I'm just gonna be a little vulgar. Really. I need to go take a shit. Can you like cover me for this round? Because he like wants to go to his hotel room, like maybe like freshen up, change something, whatever. Yeah. You know. And I'm like, yeah, sure, like whatever. Didn't even look at what round it was gonna be, what the matchup is, whatever. It ends up being the longest recorded single game of Flesh and Blood, I think, ever, because we're untimed the top eight. We're in the booth for about two to two and a half hours. The match was two hours long. And we had to do, like, pre-game, post-game. And, Ross, I was in, like, physical pain at the end of it. Like, the game was insanely <laughs> good. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was, a, it was like, a, a rough matchup for one of the players, and they were, like, kind of behind, and they just have to do this, like, specific thing perfectly through the match, and he has to do it, like, the whole way through. And it was just, it was a master class. Like, I ended up winning the Pro Tour, and stuff and so like it was really awesome to watch and cast but also that game gets very repetitive in the middle of it because like that's the only way a two-hour game you know it's like they're just trading off over and over and over and over and over again in a certain way and they're they're just doing this like circular thing until someone runs out you know what i mean kind of stuff because both players went through their decks multiple times you know like it got to the point in the game where he exhausted his opponent the opponent was just out of everything he had, like, no armor, no cards, no nothing left. Like, he literally could not win. If the opponent did nothing, he would still <laughs> not be able to kill them. So it was just so awesome to watch. But physically after attrition. that... Yeah. Physically after that, I just wanted to fall to the floor. I was like, this was so much. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'd be fine getting this, but, like, maybe at my age, you're just working all morning and blah, blah, blah. I was just thinking about sitting where you have to be, like, alert and, like, on, you know, like, kind of, like, you know, you're not you're at your home just chilling, right? You're sitting there with another person, you have to be engaged for over two hours talking about something. Like, you remember those first couple of episodes that we made of the show, of this show, like when we did like that every deck list because you're crazy and somehow talked me into that? It yeah. was like that all over again. But except like you couldn't pause or like sit back or anything like that. So it was uh it's it was 150 a hell of a deck day. list, Shannon. How long could it take? I don't know. What could it cost? Ten dollars? Like exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, other than that, uh, I will say I don't really have any other updates other than, you know, I've just been unbelievable busy and I will be unbelievably busy until the week after this. And then I've got some time until I think, I think I have two more gigs lined up for this. I have like arena championships, the online one where it's from home. And then I have Dallas, which you're going to be at as well. So we will both be there. So if there's any fans of our show, we will actually both be in Dallas. So you can, you can come and say hi. Also, Brent will be there. So I think it was one of the first times all three of us will be in a bit. By the way, we owed, we owe Brent there. Sure. Yeah. Okay. We need we need to make that happen. Ross did the hesitant head nod. Just so you know, Brent, I was fully on board. Ross hesitated for a moment, just so that's on the record. I had I just thought for a second, and I'm yeah, like, I yeah, know. that's pretty clear. I'm still gonna. There's a bus over here. You still gotta get I'll, thrown under it. Okay. Like, I'm I'm there till till Monday. I actually I and I don't even leave till Monday evening. Uh-huh. But I'm gonna go to. Uh, I'm on the same flight home as Elliot. Uh, and he has, you know, status because he flies frequently as a judge. So he's yeah. just going to get me into the Delta Sky Club that day. Nice. And he, he's he has to work all day, so he's gonna, just going to work from there. Nice. And I'm going to sit in the Sky Club and do Sky Club things. 
<laughs> uh, I I don't know yet exactly what's going to happen because I'm probably going to be driving because right, as of right. right now I'm in, I'm in Austin, Texas, uh, and it's like a two and a half hour drive, and so I'm like, hey, what kind of pay can I get if I don't make you pay for like a five hundred dollar flight ticket? You know, can I get like a little extra maybe? Yeah, you know, usually like, it's just based on mileage. Days. Yeah, yeah, based on mileage yeah. or whatever. But like, I want some extra money in my pocket too. I'm greedy. Yeah. But <laughs> are, are we? Is the Dreamhack actually in Dallas, or are we in Fort Worth? Like most tournaments, I would assume we're going to be in Fort Worth. I would assume we're going to be in the building that we're usually in. But yeah, Fort Worth Convention don't Center. Don't quote me on that. I could look it up right now, but that requires more effort than I'm willing to give. I mean, I, I I'd be happy to do that because I'm right next to Malone's. Mm-hmm. We're near the Jazz there's, Club. There's a Velvet Taco right down the street. Yeah, yeah so all kinds of great stuff. Jazz Club. Yeah, Jim Davis always loves that too. Oh Y'all yeah, so old man. All right, gotta get me a, gotta get me a death in the afternoon at the Jazz Club. Oh sure, sure. Let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to talk about here this, uh, on this show. And I'm pretty excited for a decent bit of the cards. Uh, they got previewed today. Lots of cool stuff going on. These are going to be legal in standard and forward. You know, all the other sets are yeah, there, so that's that every cool. standard feeding set. Yeah, this is going to be legal on everything. Standard Fed set. Sure. Um, so let's go ahead and just start. We're going to be starting. If you, if you want to follow along and look at the cards, we're going to be reading them, obviously. We're using the Magic the Gathering Twitter account. That's Wizards underscore Magic. And they previewed these all about noon to one on May 2nd. That's a Tuesday. Let's go ahead and just get started. Uh, let's start with Calyx uh, Guided by Fate. One green and a white for a legendary enchantment creature human druid. It's a 2-2. Two, two. But it's got constellation. So whenever it enters the, whenever it or another enchantment enters the battle under your control, put up plus plus a counter on target creature. Is that the worst? It's a three three for three. And then it says when it or an enchant creature you control deals combat dam an enchanted creature you control deals combat damage to a player. You may create a token that's a copy of a not legendary enchantment you control. Do this only once each turn. This is actually pretty powerful in the fact that like you can trigger this like the turn you can, like play it attack them with some kind of boggle-ish type thing because there's a couple hexproof creatures that if you want to play like full-on boggles and a few creatures that are hard to kill early you can make this work and there's a lot of enchantments that do really cool stuff when they come into play so making copies of them is pretty advantageous yeah uh, obviously you know calyx is this sort of enchantment centric dude uh in every single iteration that we've seen uh and it's going to be powerful in those kinds of decks i worry because all the successful you know, pants, bogles, whatever you want to call them, decks, auras uh-huh. have a very, very low curves. Uh-huh. It's rare that you see three mana cards in those decks. It's all ones and a few twos usually. It's like mostly ones. And then you play your light paws or your, you know, extra two mana hexproof creature or your um, core spirit dancer, things like that, you know, and your daybreak coronets. So I, that three. Is it power? Is it powerful enough to want to raise your curve in those decks? I would say doubtful. So this feels more like a commander card to me. But I'm also like waiting. They've pushed these enchantment themes so much that is there something in standard where your curve is obviously going to be higher? Where this card could be powerful? That's because, where I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's where I see Calyx really shining. If Calyx is going to shine, yeah, hundred percent agree. Because we we've seen some auras decks in standard. There uh-huh. there was the sort of Naya one. A while back, with all of the um, the runes that was uh-huh. sort of comboy, and there's a there's a Selesnya enchantment deck in this standard format. I remember wh- when I did a, a Mana Trader standard event; it looked really good. It was beating up yeah. on Grixis. Now Grixis has fallen out of favor, so you know maybe that maybe that deck needs a shot in the arm in order to you know play well against the the new heavy hitters in standard. And yeah. Alex could be that. 
it also maybe doesn't even need to be specifically just a pan stack that we're talking about kind of like the boggles type it might just be like enchantment focused with value and stuff so like you know just copy like the the new o-ring or something that you know draws cards or does stuff yeah. there's all Got kinds of sagas things yeah sagas is pretty freaking good you can't transform them but some of them are really powerful so yeah right. <clears throat> moving on to the next one Lots of legends in this set as well. Uh, this are they five card boosters, six card boosters? What are they again? I have no idea. They're they're smaller than normal because yeah, because it's normal. only a fifty card set. Yeah. So Kiora, Sovereign of the Deep, three green blue legendary creature, Merf oh, Merfolk Noble. It's a four five. It's got vigilance and ward for three. Whenever you cast a Kraken, Leviathan, Octopus, or Serpent spell from your hand, look at the top X cards of your library. Where X is that spell's mana value? You may cast a spell of mana value less than X from among the pants cost. But the rest of the bottom ran more. Uh, this seems like a commander card to me, but if you're looking to make a Kraken Leviathan Octopus Serpent type deck, this, this is where it's at. I don't know, you know how like, many cards have that text on them now, but it seems like we've a gotten lot. a lot more of them in the last two oh, years. Oh, just wait. There's there's definitely a lot of themes like that in this yeah, set. Somebody at Watsi likes Kraken Leviathan's Octopus Serpents. Octopi? Yeah. Octopodes? That, that's... There's three different plurals, Tannen. Sure. Sure, whatever. I don't. Care. I'm personally I, a I fan of octopodes because uh -huh. that's the actual Greek pluralization, and the word comes so, from Greek. Octo uh, uh, octopi is sort of a bastardization where people assume it's a Latin word and sure. apply the Latin pluralization. Which is not, but it's gotten used so much that it's entered into common lexicon, usage, and that's yeah. how language works. Sure. And then octopuses is sort of the typical English. You know, once it's a once octopus is a loan word in English, you pluralize it the English way. So I had to look it up this weekend. I was doing a, a round with Brian Gottlieb of coverage, and someone is putting like multiple dragons into play in Flesh and Blood. And I was talking about like the what, what a group of dragons is. I was like, is it a horde? Is it a brood? I had to look it up. It's a thunder. And then nice. he got making a joke that it's just a dumpster of dragons. He's like, no, I just <laughs> want to call it that. And I was like, no, man, like it's actually a thunder. And then he looks at me and he's like, are you trying to correct me on what the correct term for a group of mythical creatures are? You know, because they aren't real. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. All right, anyway. <laughs> All words uh, are made up. Yeah, all words are made up. All right. Why, why, it, why would a group of mythical animals be, you know, yeah. treated differently in a, in a linguistic sense? A language yeah, is right. abstract anyway. It's a good point. Anyway, uh, the next one we've got, we've got Narset Enlightened Exile. One blue, red, white for a 3-4 legendary creature human monk. It says creatures you control have prowess, and that's going to stack. So if your creature already has prowess and you give it prowess again, we've seen this. There's a card in stand that has prowess, prowess. So. Uh, whenever Narset Enlightened uh, Exile attacks, hold on, sorry, I actually clicked the button. Exile target non-creature, non-land card with mana value less than Narset's power from a grave from a graveyard, from a graveyard, and copy it. You may cast the copy without paying its mana cost. Four mana for a three-four without prowess is a lot in standard today, and asking it to survive is difficult. If this gets going, it can be pretty pretty good. Yeah, the, uh, I. Agree completely. It all, you know, the card's power depends on how easy it is to kill. So it's going to yeah. depend on what removal spells people are playing in the metagame. But if they're not playing a lot of removal spells and answer this card, it takes over the game real fast. Yeah, it's going to steamroll quite a bit. It's going to yes. feel, uh, it's going to feel a lot like Leer did back in the day, where like you don't answer this, it's over. Um, the next one, I'm going to read this card and then I'm kind of let you go because. This card has Rossberry written all over it. I actually like it a lot. I think this card might have some some pretty big impact. Obnixilus, Captive Kingpin. It's two black-red for a 4-3 legendary creature demon. It's got Flying and Trampled. Here's the text. Whenever one or more opponents each lose exactly one life, put a plus one, plus one encounter on this. 
and then exile the top card of your library until your next instep you may play that card. Ross, this seems like a pretty decent top end into any of the black-red kind of sacrificeless decks we've talked about. Especially yeah. ones that almost all of them have something that deals one. You know, like, you know, anvil-type stuff. You know, like, do this, you know, drain them, you know, like, whatever. Any of those type decks. Yes. This card is quite the combo with Cat Oven and Mayhem Devil. Yeah, it's 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 pretty damn good. So uh, I'm I'm interested in trying it in Rakdos Sacrifice, even as a four mana card in Pioneer. Uh, maybe it ends up just being like a sideboard card for matchups where you need an over the top threat. Because yeah. not only is this card you know generating you a ton of card advantage, it's also getting gigantic. It, it feels a lot like a uh, Corvald to me. Yes, it's a mini Corvald for sure. Yeah, costs yeah. four mana, doesn't require you to splash a color. And we've seen in Pioneer Rakdos Sacrifice lists that splash just for Corvold. That's been a thing over the years. Uh, this card, I, I think, compares pretty favorably to it, um, especially because, you know, you can often just trigger it like six times in a turn if you need to dig for one specific card to end the game. You know, it has reasonable stats to begin with. I, I think because cards like Fiery Impulse and a lot of three damage spells get played, you know, the one that they play in... Um, in creativity too, uh, you're you going to want to get one trigger updated, immediately yeah. when you play this card, but that's not that difficult to do in a Reactor Sacrifice deck. Like You'll have a setup already. Yeah, yeah like Mayhem Devil yeah. plus a you know Treasure will do it. Uh, you know, Cat Oven will do it. So, Or keep in mind, you know, when it says they have to lose exactly one life, damage causes loss of life. Sure. So if you would just attack with a 1-1, that will also trigger Obnixless. Yeah, that uh, also forces their hand too. Like, let's say they have one of the three mana removals. I mean, the cards that deals three damage, right? Like, they have a braid or whatever. And like, you play this and attack with a like you attack with a cat, and then you have like a, a way to sacrifice something, you know, and trigger it in play. Like, they can't they can't kill your thing. Like, they yeah. they have to initiate, and they could be like, all right, in response. Like, I'll sacrifice my treasure. I'll ping you for one with a mayhem devil. I'll put a plus one counter on this. I'll reveal the top card of my library. Now my creature survives. So. I thought 4-3 was going to be a problem, and the more I think about it, like, you're going to be able to set up to get around this quite a bit. Yeah. Another card this plays well with, um, Graveyard Trespasser. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think about that. That's real nice. It's going to be yeah. a tagger in right away. Yeah, Love trigger it. from Graveyard Trespasser. Um, so, yeah, I think there's enough things that this plays well with that we're going to see it, and you were yeah. right to call it a me card. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah, I'm a fan of this card in general. I think it's really cool. It's a, it's a sweet design. Plus, it's just a card that fits into established archetypes already, which is nice. The next one that we're going to get into, a card that I like quite a bit. I don't know how you're going to feel about this one. We'll see. This is Samut, Vizier of Noctamun? Noctamun? Whatever. Just, That's how I would pronounce it. That that thing. It's one red-green for a 2-3 human warrior cleric. It's a legend. It has first strike, vigilance, and haste. It says, whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, if that creature enters the battlefield this turn, draw a card. It's in the right colors for that, Ross. You could do like this green-red, aggressive, haste-type deck. I mean, it's got haste itself. If it hits your opponent, it's going to replace itself right away. I mean, you can make entire decks almost based around this kind of thing, like being very aggressive, very haste-filled. And then when this, like when you play this, you know, you get, to, you get to maybe attack. It's also a very, very good way to follow up any kind of sweeper or anything like that as well, because like you're applying pressure, you're getting some card advantage back, and your opponent needs to answer this card right away. Yeah, cards like Reckless Stormseeker, Phoenix Chick, Questing Beast. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a question of how many haste creatures you can fill your deck with. Um, 
I doubt that that kind of a gruel deck is better than the vehicles deck that we already have in Pioneer. So that that's the problem in that format and with historic. But I do like this card. I I think I think a standard. You know, this is a player. Yeah. Yeah. Hate the thing is haste is already one of the best keyword abilities. Maybe the yeah. best one. Uh. So you you want to play cards with haste because haste is good, and this is a card that you know rewards you for playing good cards. I like yeah. that. I like it when my synergies start from a high floor, and so that even if you disrupt them, I have a bunch of haste creatures. That's good anyway. Yeah, it's like I talk about with like Monastery Mentor. It's like rewards you for playing magic. And like this card seems to do that. Yeah. Like I don't have to go out of my way to like, because like a lot of times when you have cards like this, if you build a deck around them, what happens when you don't draw that card? Generally your deck's seal, like the ceiling rate goes way down or the floor goes way down. With this, like you're still playing good aggressive cards. Like you're still playing quote unquote like a mono red deck and can just beat down your opponent. Yeah. And stuff like that. This works burns, well burns with spells, um, Ember Cleaves and, yeah, and you're yeah. good to go. This works well with anything that has haste as well. Like, um, what's the red one drop saga? Uh, faces Kazakhstan or whatever. Kamano Kamano faces, faces Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan or like that works as well because it leaves play comes back. So another good card without Nixilis. Then another card. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Look, hey, maybe we put it all together. Maybe we lay Jund. All right. Yeah. Anyway, the, the Rakdos invasion makes him lose a yeah. life. That's good without sure. Nixilis. I need someone. to learn all the names of those by the way for this weekend. Yeah. Jesus. All right. Invasion of Rakdos. <laughs> <laughs> invasion of something. All right. Uh. So the next one uh, is uh, we're going to go back to some other planes here. We've got Sarkon, the Soul of Flame. This is one blue-red for a 2-4 legendary creature human shaman. Dragon spells you you cast cost one less to cast. Whenever dragon enters the battlefield under your control, you may have Sarkon uh, become a copy of it until end of turn, except his name is still this, and it's, a legendary, and it's a legendary in addition to its other types. So I don't know about standard. You know, we have some dragons that we could maybe play. It seems like it might be a little slow to get the setup, but... This might be a pretty cool commander card as your actual like, commander. And some other things you're like, play this. And then your opponent's like, okay, like do my thing. And you're like, play any broken dragon. Like, <laughs> like, and like, here, here's the thing. This allows you to get the attack triggers on some of your dragons right away, even if they don't have haste. Because like you could, you could play the dragon and if it's a broken one that doesn't have haste and you're like, attack you with my commander guy. Yeah. And then it's still commander damage as well for these commander players. So not a card necessarily for you or me could randomly maybe show up in standard we'll see what happens in the next set maybe hey. there's dragons but like this thing needs a lot of stuff to work around it i've got to tell you tannin yeah one of the one of the shells i've been trying to figure out how to make work in pioneer for a while now it's just dragon decks is salamgar scorn goldspan dragon all runs epiphany Okay, so those cards are all great. I will say this, this card is not a dragon itself, so you can't reveal it to that yeah. stuff. That is that is a problem. But but think about what it does with Goldspan Dragons. Okay, that's actually pretty fucking cool. You play Sarkin on three. You immediately get to play Goldspan Dragon on four. Perfect curve. You attack yeah. with both of them. You get two treasures. Each of the treasures makes two mana. So you have four more mana. Yeah. yeah. So your Goldspan Dragon was free. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm kind of in. I'm you could play dead. a removal spell and Slumgar score on them. Yeah, I'm kind of Who's dead. ever beating that? No one. You're dead. Yeah. So right. uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try it. I don't expect it to be good. I'm going to say it's going to be either really bad or you'll be surprised by how efficient it actually is. So well, the, the problem is like the, the dragon decks I want to build don't play that many dragons. It's like Goldspan yeah. Dragon and like two others. You got to figure out what the next best one is because you need like yeah. six if you're Slumgar scorns. So you're not really taking that good of an advantage of Sarkin. You know what card I do like? I like the uh, the invasion that it shocks something when it comes into play, plus X if you have dragons, and then it turns into a dragon when it gets 
when it gets uh beat the battle when it gets beaten. Yeah. That card's actually like somewhat playable. So like that's a card, but the problem is that's another card in your deck that's not an actual dragon, but does give you dragons in play. Yeah. So like this I, is a card that requires you to have actual dragons. And mo the the trick with most dragon decks is trying to figure out how to add dragons that aren't actually dragons. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, if you like dragons, you might also like elves. The next card is a nice little elf card. This is Tyvor the Bellicose. It's two black green for a five four elf warrior legend. When one or more elves you control attack, they gain death touch until their turn. Says each creature you control has, whenever a mana ability of this creature resolves, put a number of plus one plus counters on it equal to the amount of mana this creature produced. This ability only triggers once each turn. That's a mouthful, Ross. I don't know if like Black Green Elves needs this. We've seen that deck be a periphery deck in Pioneer for a while. I don't know what elves look like in Standard right now. I don't think there's like an elf deck per se. But this is four mana for a 5-4 with an okay ability. Not super great. Honestly, I'm not seeing it with this card, but I'm willing to be wrong. I I think that first ability is the actual real like it'll, best. It does one allow land wars to get into combat, right? Like yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So that is something. So this is there's sort of two ways that elf decks have been built over the years. Uh -huh. There's the the most successful versions are you know hyper low curve generate a ton of mana. And then sink that mana into something busted, you know, yeah. or, or like, you know, glimpse of nature turns with all these cheap cards and, and mana generation. They're sort of, they're combo elves, right? The Then there's this sort of aggro elves version that, you know, that's more like Elvish Archdruid, Azuri. They're still spraying the battlefield wide, but then they have ways to just like create a big battlefield. So they're a little bit more hybrid aggro combo. Uh, there are some... Elf decks over the years that have been more straight aggro decks, like the one Gindy won Hollywood with. That was more of an aggro mid-range um, kind of strategy. Tyvar plays really well in the versions that are more aggro combo because it gives you this powerful aggressive creature that turns your small creatures into a real cards late in the game so that you're able to sort of you know get over the finish line once your opponent has dealt with your first wave of threats. So... I like it in those kinds of decks. The issue is that those decks tend to be collected company decks, and so there's a question of how many four drops you can realistically play, and is Tyvar going to take space away from collected company? Um, so that's a major worry, but the abilities that it has play really well in that specific strategy of elf deck. That said, I tend to like elf decks that are more heavily combo-oriented. You know, mm -hmm. I played Legacy Elves for a long time, when I played it in modern, I played the version with, uh, you know, devoted druid and um, and vizier. So sure, yeah. I, I always wanted some way way to combo. Tyvar does not play well in those style of elf decks, but exactly. if you're more of the aggro elves player, this is definitely a card to give a look to. Now, if you like elves, you might like this this second card. When I saw this one, I immediately messaged this to Brendan Decandia. And this is the new Nissa. This is Nissa uh, Resurgent Anivist. All right, two and a green legendary creature, elf scout three three. It has landfall. Alright, whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, add one mana of any color, so it's Lotus Cobra. Then, if it's the second time this ability resolved this turn, reveal cards from the top of your library to reveal an elf or elemental card. Put the card in your hand, the rest of the bottom of your library to random order. Depending on the decks, what they're going to look like in Standard, and what they're going to look like in, uh, you know, Pioneer stuff, I could see this card showing up somewhere. Like, this is something that's pretty powerful, 
if it gets if you get to untap with it and start going off because again it's a, it's a lotus cobra at worst right so you're gonna go from three to five pretty fast you know, just play a land make a mana tap your lands or whatever blah, blah, blah. but it also has some baked in card advantage if you can start putting multiple lands in the fact that it costs three mana though is a little bit of a deterrent if it was like a smaller creature as a two drop i could maybe see this get really out of hand but it also is going to die to every removal spell in standard, which I, I know people hate that argument, but when you're building a deck around a card like this, that's kind of important to think about. Yeah, it, it's really more of a 4-drop. You know, you, you want to play it and then pl hopefully play it, you know, a, a fetch land, like a, you know, uh -huh. prismatic, um, not prismatic vista, but fable passage. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this is a great turn, you know, get to turn 4, I have 3 mana to start, play this, play Fable Passage, sack the Fable Passage, I have three mana again, so I can double spell really easily, and I generate, a, you know, uh, some card advantage. So that, that's the way I would try to curve with it. The weird thing about this card is that it's an elf that's not really an elf card. Even though it does say, like, you know, until you reveal an elf card, elves' decks are always very low curve, even if they're more aggro-oriented, and they play, you know... Uh, because they play a bunch of mana creatures, and so they have low land counts. So that's not going to play well with Nissa. Nissa wants a very high land count, as most landfall cards do. Um, so it's going to be a little awkward trying to build a deck that isn't really a dedicated Elves deck, because you want to be higher curved and have more lands, but you want to find specific Elf or Elemental cards that you can find with Nissa to take advantage of that second ability. So it's going to require some scryfall searching to figure out what the cards this card plays with. But I do think the abilities are powerful. It's not going to work the same as Lotus Cobra because it is a mana, you know, more expensive as you noted. But I would be trying to play this card to take advantage of that second ability. So I'm trying to find things like, you know, you know, Shriek Moth style cards. It's an elemental where so you can just draw a removal hey. spell and turn yeah. this into more of a mid-range card. Sure. Uh, th that's where I think this card, you know, is at its best, but it's going to require some very, very specific deck building. So yeah, that's why you just send it to Brennan and uh -huh. he does all the hard work. Yeah, and if it's broken, you yeah. take the list and you win the tournament and you yeah. give him no credit. Exactly. All right. The next one is something that uh, I, I joke with this and I'm always like, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. But <laughs> I think we might be at the critical mass at some point in time soon. This is Nahiri Forge of Fury. Four red and white for a 5-4 legendary core artificer. This has a affinity for equipment. So for this spell is going to cost one less to cast. For each equipment you control. It says, whenever a creature you control attacks, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. You may cast equipment spells this way without paying their mana cost. The problem is, for this to be really good, you need a lot of equipment in your deck. Right? Yeah. Um, we may be at that critical mass now, though, where you have enough equipments that have "quote unquote" living weapon. You also make creatures because that's the hardest part about equipment or, decks. Is or they're the reconfigured ones that are already creatures. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the ones that are those considered equipment for this when it turns their yes. creature. Yeah, they but... don't have an equip cost, but they are equipment. Yeah. Okay, so maybe there is enough in standard now for this to be an actual deck, and this could be because if you make this say a three drop. Or a four drop, like this card becomes a lot more palatable. You know, if it's too red white for a five four with this with this ability, it might be in. Yeah, it's definitely more of a four drop, right? Because you can't really go one drop, two drop, and then cast this on three right. because of six mana. I think if this card was five mana, it would be really good because then you have that, that that natural curve, like sure. that one two three curve would be busted. So not surprised to see it cost exactly six, and that makes it a lot more questionable. I spent a lot of years on versus live 
trying to you know figure yeah, yeah. out equipment decks in various formats because I just kept seeing them print cards that you know with those mm -hmm. themes. And I'm like, eventually it's gotta you know be good enough, and it just never was. Uh, so I'm sort of off trying to do it, but I would be pretty happy if it happened. And this is a really powerful payoff for those decks, you know, uh, right. undercosted, really you know p powerful threat that generates card advantage and presses your your advantage on the battlefield pressuring your opponent's life total. So I love cards that are able to, you know, put the opponent on the back foot in terms of protecting their life while generating card advantage so that once they deal with your threats, you can, you know, redeploy more and keep, you know, keep the, your, your foot on their throat. Hmm. Uh, next one up, card that's probably going to come near and dear to my heart. We'll have to see because I do like this character quite a bit. This is Karn, Legacy Reforged. It costs five, it's a legendary artifact creature golem. It's a star star. So its power and toughness are equal to the greatest mana value among artifacts you control. So it's a 5-5 five, five at the least because it costs 5 itself. So it says at the beginning of your upkeep, add a colorless for each artifact you control. This mana can't be spent to cast non-artifact spells. So it's got the, uh, what set was that recently where it had this ability a million times? Um, um, power Stones? Yeah, yeah, Power Stone. The, yeah, it's got Power Stone ability. It says, until the turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. There was for a little while a deck in standard that utilized power stones and a lot of those cards and did some powerful stuff. And I wonder if a card like this could maybe make something like that come back. There's a lot of cards in there. The problem is there's no way to really like cheat on the mana. You don't have like a way to make colorless mana early as far as I know, right? I could be wrong here, but there's no there's like no signet type stuff. Yeah. And that you know, this just being a five five for five when it comes the target comes into play is not super great. Uh, yeah, probably not good enough, actually, for standard. I would be more interested, actually, in older formats where you do have access to that fast mana. You know, can you? this obviously wouldn't play well in traditional like Mono Green Tron. But what about, like, the Mystic Forge, you know, nonsense decks that yeah. go off with Tron? In formats where people aren't playing a Braid main like they are in uh, standard yeah. right now as well. You know, the, the Dice Tron decks, so like Astro Chronicopia and Surge Node, they, those decks have just a pile of crappy artifacts on the battlefield all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you can play this card and, you know, not only have a big creature, but also have this huge mana engine. And, you know, maybe it's not something you want to main deck. Maybe it's a target for Karn the Great Creator, you know, as cool. a way to sort of jumpstart your mana engine if you don't have everything together. Yeah. Um, or as you know, just a way to sort of you know win a beatdown game. Uh, it, it, I could see it playing that kind of role because you know in in a format like modern, you're not sure. going to want to play that many fives in your deck, especially if you're trying to Mystic Forge people. That makes sense. I could go over a few of these a little a little faster because these are like uh, not mythics and stuff, uh, and they're just kind of filler. But they're what we're seeing. Uh, Animus Might is a two and a green mana sorcery. It says this spell costs two less to cast if it targets a legendary creature you control. Target creature you control deals damage equal to twice its power to target creature or planeswalker you don't control. I actually kind of like this card. The ones yeah. that can that can be one mana can be quite good, especially if you're playing like mono green in any kind of way in the format. You just need a removal spell. And twice its power means that even if you have something like two or three powers, it's going to take down a lot of the biggest creatures in the format, like She Holder and some of the other stuff, plus the ability for it to also hit planeswalkers is pretty important. You know, one of the other things I've been trying to figure out in Pioneer is how to play Mox Amber in, like, an aggro deck. Because, you know, Watsi prints so many uh, legendary creatures these days. The issue is that they don't print as many 
especially good cheap ones. Yeah. And I so why, Ross? <laughs> oftentimes you're like tapping out for a legend and then you have this Mox Amber and you can't do anything with it immediately. So it's just like a hope your creature lives and then I get to ramp next turn kind of card. Hmm. And it's hard to build your curve in a way that you're going to consistently take advantage of it because you then you just open yourself up to your opponent's removal. This is a great follow-up. You know, you play your two or three mana legend and then play Mox Amber and double spell with this and deal with their threat. Now you've gained a significant tempo advantage and you're sort of forcing your opponent to have to answer your creature or you're going to continue to press that tempo advantage with the Mox Amber on later turns. So I'm I'm kind of excited about this card. I want to see if I can build like a, you know, mono green legendary aggro deck. Interesting, interesting. Speed of green cards, the next two are green as well. This one's called Open the Way, X green green sorcery. X can't be greater than the number of players in the game. Reveal cards from the top of your library as you reveal X lands cards. Put those cards onto the battlefield tap and the rest on the bottom of your library in any random order. This seems like a commander card to me. It seems like a really powerful big uh, ramp spell because in standard, this is going to be one green green to you know reveal until you find one land. So it's like a free mana rapid growth or it's going to be four mana double rapid growth in which you probably just have better versions because you go you can go get like basics, but you get the basics that you want. And yeah, this gets you any land out of your deck, which maybe there's something about that, but this one's leaving a little to be desired for me in like standard and stuff like that, but I can see this maybe in a commander thing. Yeah, obviously going to be better in the, the multiplayer format. I, I do tend to value cards that are flexible on your curve for a ramp deck because ramp decks are so dependent on curving out like every single game. They really need to be that uh, super consistent. And this is a card that, that sort of lets you do that if you're if you're building your ramp deck to be more three five seven, this is a card that either jumps you from three to five or jumps you from four to seven, and so mm. it it can fit on either, and that's typically how standard you know ramp decks have worked. We did just get a recent invasion that is an explosive vegetation, and maybe that's better because it can give you an extra threat later in the game. But I wouldn't dismiss this one offhand just because it, it does provide a extra consistency by being flexible on curve even in two-player games yeah yeah for sure all right and the next one the green card the other creator card image is three to green it's called ley line aversion sorry three to green enchantment aura enchant legendary creature enchanted creature has war two and tap at five mana in any combination of colors spend this mana only to cast spells uh this one seems very commanderish to me i'm sure there might be some combo deck i'm not thinking of where this could happen but uh this is the kind of card that until someone else proves it to me, I will just stay away from it. You should not print a card that starts with the word Leyline that doesn't have the ability yes. to start the game and play when it's I'm in your opening like, hand. When I saw it, I was like, oh, we get a new green Leyline. And I was like, yeah. wait, wait. Like, what the hell? What this the is the fuck? most yeah. disappointing card so far, and I'm yeah. mad that it exists. Yeah, exactly. It, it is um, a bit of a rip spell, though, right? You, you get to, like, eh. if you play it on a creature, like, if you play it on, like, all, oh, only chance of legendary creatures. Oh, that's much worse. Yeah, it's, I was it's trying to like rough. enchant Arboreal Grazer in my ramp deck <laughs> and like go go nuts, but yeah, no. yeah, this card sucks. They, they knew that. Get right. out of here with that nonsense. Uh, the next one is a white legendary creature, Human Warrior. This is Cesari Stalwart Survivor, two and a white for three three. It says each creature you control has tap at one mana of any of the creature's colors. Spend this mana only to activate an ability of creature. Activate only if this creature has another activated ability. That's a lot of words. All right, anyway. And then it has domain, tap it. 
So one of each color, tap, mill five cards, put all creature cards, the activated abilities, and art mana abilities from among the milled cards into your hand. Jesus Christ, Ross. I don't want to ever read this card again. It does this, a lot of things, but I don't think those things are good. This is a good. commander card. This is yeah. a commander card. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, this is a commander card. Playable. It, it can go into your five color decks, but only your five color decks, I think, right? Because it has all, I don't. Yeah. Someone else tell me. All right, anyway, we're on the next card because this one's cool. This is called Reckless Handling. It's one to red for a sorcery. Search your library for an artifact card, reveal it, put it into your hand, shuffle, then discard a card at random. If an artifact card was discarded this way, Reckless Handling is two damage to each opponent. So this is gamble for artifacts, pretty much. Yeah. So this this is really cool, the fact that if you... I mean, gamble was really good because you go get cards that, like, you don't care either way. You, you got life on the loan. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't got life on the loan. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes you really did have to gamble. You know, I've been in, I've been in spots played against, you know, lands players that are like, all right, gamble, hopefully you don't hit the one and three, you know, because they need to get, like, their specific land that they need or whatever. Yeah. So I'm sure someone's going to find ways to make this... You know, like, let's say that Power Stone deck is actually pretty good. In Stater, they just can just go find a threat. There are threats that have, uh, what's the ability where you, you play from your graveyard, it comes in with haste, uh, um, from that set? Uh, um, Unearth. Yeah, some of them have Unearth, so, like, this could get totally played that, like, there's a big, there's a big artifact creature that has, like, the red Unearth, so you could just play this in that deck and, you know, start going off and stuff. So this is something that could, that could definitely show up, I think. Yeah, this is a one that I, you know, it's so different than any other card printed recently. I would have to do a lot of research to figure out, like, what shell could even be built with it. Mm -hmm. um, but Gamble is a is a powerful effect. And at only two mana, you know, it, it should be powerful enough for the formats this will be legal in. Uh, but I, I have no idea what I want to do with it. All I can say is no gamble, no future. All right, the next one is Nahiri's Resolve. Three red, white for an enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one plus one and have haste. At the beginning of your end step, exile any number of non-token artifacts and or creatures you control. Return those cards to the beginning to the battle at the beginning of the owner's control at the beginning of your next step. Okay, so let me read it again. At the beginning of your end step, exile any number of non-token artifacts and or creatures you control. Return those cards to the battlefield under their owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So it's a lot of mana for this. But it is something that pumps your whole team. And if your stuff has come into play abilities or whatever, this is kind of like teleportation portal and stuff at the end of turn as well. Five's a lot, though. Yeah, it also protects all your creatures from sorcery speed wraths. Your cards are always exiled on yeah. their turn. That yeah. aspect of it, I think, is the, the most compelling one for me. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like this card as sort of an anti-control measure. Mm -hmm. But it does also, you know... I didn't even think about just taking advantage of ETB effects, uh, but you could clearly do that as well. I do think five mana is a lot because, you know, the sweepers people play in Pioneer, it's Supreme Verdict. Uh, in Standard, it's a lot of five mana sweepers, so maybe it'll be beneficial there, but you want it to cost at least the same amount or less than the sweepers that you're trying to protect against because you want to be able to cast it before they play the sweeper on curve, obviously. So I'm skeptical at five mana for any formats older than Standard, um, but I I kind of like it in standard if yeah. you know people are playing sweepers. The next one is a deification, one in a white enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, choose a planeswalker type. Planeswalkers you control of the chosen type have hexproof. As long as you control a creature, if damage dealt to a planeswalker you control of the chosen type would result in all loyalty counters of it being removed, it said remove all but one of those counters. So this is kind of like worship as well. You know, like worship was like if you have a creature 
and you would die. You don't die. You go to one. This is like worship for your planeswalkers. So if you have, you know, a deck that's got a bunch of Jaces in it or a bunch of a specific wand, you'd be like, here you go. They now have hexproof. As long as they have a creature out, they can't die as well. If they would take damage, you can still minus them and have them die. Uh, damage kind of a weird card. Planeswalker, you could. Ross still mean... reading this. Sure. I, I mean, sure has been announced. Okay, the, yeah, exactly. We can go on. <laughs> it would ha you would it would have to be planeswalkers that have good plus abilities, right, or zeros, because it, your your thing is still being reduced to one. So yeah. you yeah. need to be able to then get value out of using it the next turn, and yeah, it's costing you a card. I I don't really see it. Sure. Uh, next one. This one goes back to Tarkir. This is Kolagon Warmonger. It's two and a red. Uh, Ogre Warrior. It's got a, it's a haste three two. But when it attacks, you look at the top six cards of your library. You reveal a dragon card from among them and put it in your hand. Put the rest of the bottom of any order. If your deck can hit often enough, I think this I think this card can be worth it in standard. Um. Yeah. But that's a really really big it's if. A, it's a tall ask. <laughs> but you know if you're hitting it like I think over fifty percent or something like that, I I could be in for it. All right. Uh, for Strixhaven, we got two more cards. This one is full. Flarg and Nasari? I'm not sure to pronounce this. Anyway, three red red for a 5-0 orc, a freak. It's a legend. At the beginning of your upkeep, each player exiles cards from the top of their library until they, ex until they exile a non-land card. An opponent chooses a non-land card exiled this way. You may cast up to two spells from among the other cards exiled this way without paying their mana cost. So it's kind of like a factor fishing. So let's say we've got three players. Uh, you're going to you know, reveal three cards. Someone's going to be like, "You can't have that one," and you're going to you're going to be able to play the other two. Yeah. So if it's a heads-up game, they choose which one you can't have. And then, like a four-player game, they choose one of the four. And you can choose two of the three. That was a lot of numbers, really fast, Ross. I hope they kept up with that. Yeah, but in a two-player game, your opponent is going to see two non-land cards and give you the worst of them each time. Yeah. So, and it's a five-mana creature that you need to untap with to get any value. So, this is a, just a commander card. Yeah, but the thing is, you do get to play them for free. But in Commander, this could this card could end games very fast. This is going to be very much in the uh, what is it, like Elatri or whatever the, the the big dragon. Itali. Yeah, the big dinosaur. I'm sorry, yeah, not it's dragon. Itali. Yeah, it's very much in in the. If you have that in your deck, you're gonna want this in your deck as well. All right, yeah. the next one is Campus Renovation, three red white sorcery. Return up to one target artifact or enchantment or card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Exile the two top cards of your library. Until end of your next turn, you may play those cards. Um, so five mana, uh, put an enchantment or effect to play. We could have some really big ones there that do a lot of stuff. And then you also get card advantage off of this. This card could definitely be in some decks. Yeah, and notably it says up to one target. So if your opponent has a rest in peace or you just don't have a target in your graveyard, you can still just cast this as a light at the stage. Um, yep. So... Which, you know, obviously is not something you'd want to do, but you'd like to have the option. <laughs> so uh, I, I I like this card. I think, you know, it's you can play it in that sort of, um, what's the for refurbish, refurbish mode uh, and try to build a deck where you're putting a big artifact into your graveyard and returning it. Um, but you don't really have to. If your deck just has a reasonable number of sagas and, you know, other good artifacts, you can just play this as a value card in a mid-range deck. And it's yeah. essentially five mana draw three, but yeah. one of them you put already out of the battlefield, so you save your you get a rebate on the mana that you spent. You know, like what if, if you're just getting Kiki G, the Kiki Jiki saga. 
Like we were just getting the, you know, yeah, like, yeah, like just any of the good ones. So five mana fable plus you know better light I'm of the in. stage because you have till the, the end of your oh light of the stage is next turn. Uh, yeah, it's five, five mana fable plus light of the stage is like that's probably good. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, and then with the upside of like I could get something broken, you know, like yeah. what if what if I like somehow put you know some big thing in my graveyard, some big enchantment yeah. or some some big creature that's like I'm oh. skimping on, I'm well, now paying less mana. That then you would need some card that lets you discard cards for value, and you know who knows what does that other than. Fable of the Mirror Breaker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's almost like all these cards were built together. To it's be, all coming be, together, Tannen. Yeah, we just I'm have to play skip... Fable. We'll be the first ones to ever play the card, and everyone will call us geniuses. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and skip the next one because it's like purely a limited card. It's under City Upheaval. Just distribute some plus and plus one counters. I mean, like I'm sure there's someone somewhere. It's like no, you can just straight up like one shot somebody with this thing or whatever. But I mean. I think you could play this card in a sort of aggro-oriented okay, sure. graveyard deck, we'll, but... We'll go with it real quick. It's got undergrowth, distribute X plus plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard as you cast the spell. Creatures you control gain vigils in a turn. Yeah, obviously you could play this something like that, it's just like... We could talk about this for like I, five seconds. Go ahead. I, I don't know if... I just don't know that the, uh, that kind of deck exists. You know, your Stitcher Supplier, Seder Wayfinder, and then you just like cast this and make those cards big... And, you know, say you've got, you've milled... I mean, this was a deck in Pioneer for a little while. Yeah, you, you've milled six cards at that point. So, say you've put three creatures in your graveyard, and now, you know, you could get to put three plus and plus one counters on those cards. Late in the game, it can be really big. I, I don't know if it's good enough for those here. decks, yeah. but I would try it. Yeah, maybe like one or two copies or something, give it a try. Yeah. All right. Um, this is from Ravnica, which is really cool, because we get another Niv-Mizzet in this, in this set. This is Niv-Mizzet Supreme. He's from Taco Bell now. So it costs one of each color for a 5-5 five, five flying hexproof from monocolored. So uh, in certain formats, this thing is going to be very hard to kill. Like, I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of you, Rakdos. There's not a lot of ways for Rakdos to kill this thing if this they, gets into play. They have Dreadbore. They don't uh, play yeah. as many Dreadbores these days. Yeah, they don't play that many now. So, like, if this becomes a thing, then, like, it says each, each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard that's exactly two colors has jumpstart. I forget what I remember, just says, you may cast that card from your graveyard by discarding a card in addition to paying its other cost, then exile it. So it gives something in your graveyard flashback, except you have to discard a card when you're doing it. So very, very powerful card if you can get it into play on like turn five and then get to your next turn. Yeah, I I I think this card is cool. It's just it's worse than Niv-Mizzet Reborn. Yeah, I agree like, with that. You get the immediate like, I'm going to draw Yeah, that burst of card today. advantage. So like if you're yeah. going through the effort of playing this Flag Fuller deck yeah. and trying to get this card into play, yeah. you know, bring the light for it. Like you just don't really have room for this card in that deck. I, I just wish this was the card that was printed instead of Niv-Mizzet Reborn. Yeah, I also agree. Um, Next, so like they gave us a few of these ledges together. So I've been having to skip over them. Like we're going to New Capenna for a couple cards and like Obnixilis has already been talked about. Um, I like a few of these cards. Uh, The, the next one's an Angel that I think could pop up into some decks uh, in standard, some other formats possible if you need this ability, plus also obviously fits into green-white angels in Pioneer. I don't know if it's officially been spoiled. There's a green-white angel that I also like for green-white angels. It's pretty obvious, whatever. But uh, this one fits into the, the actual theme of the deck with getting uh, collected company. This is a... Is it two, it's a 2-3 two, oh. angel cleric for 2 and a white. It's got flying, vigilance, and you have hexproof, which can be pretty good in some matchups. And it says, whenever it's dealt damage, you gain that much life. So this is one that, if you get into some aggro matchups, plays well in combat. It's, it's got flying, it's got vigilance, so it can attack and block. It fits into Collective Company, but 
If you ever have matchups where having Hexproof is relevant, this card's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's a very good anti-burn card. Yeah, obviously. you need to do something to this. Yeah, and, like this, and this card's insane against a burn deck. Yeah, yeah because it, you're not only having forcing them to deal with it first, so like they have to use a, one of their bolts on it, and then you gain three life because it got dealt three damage. So now you're up six life effectively, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a so the, there's there's a lot to like there. I like that it's a anti burn card that can also sometimes be you know like an anti discard spell kind of card. At three mana, or that's hard because like, thing, yeah. like they play their discard spells early, and then you like you know. Um, but I, I wonder if I, it, it feels more of a cyber card to me. I don't think it's powerful enough to to main deck, yeah, but sure. it's a really, really, really good anti burn card, especially for collective yeah. company decks. I, yeah, and I think that like there, there's some linear combo decks that are like decks that have cards in it that are like you know you do this and it's like target opponent has to do this and it's like well they can't even cast this card now if I have this in play. And they're not those cards. Those decks notoriously don't play a lot of removal. So this is another like quote unquote hate bearish type card as well. Like creatures that have these things that create situations where your opponent is either annoyed or can't do what they're supposed to be doing without this gone. And you could just snowball pretty quickly that out the play. I, I like cards like this. Um, next, you get a big expensive sorcery cards. I usually kind of like rebuild the city. Three black, green, red sorcery. Choose target land. Create three tokens that are copies of it except they're three three creatures in addition to their other types and they have vigilance and menace i'm looking at you valicate that's not that's what i'm thinking but like i don't know if it's even that great you know because like you could be doing this straight up valicate stuff in those decks but this is a card that if someone plays it it's going to do something really really unfair yeah i i like in the valicate deck that it, it can if you need you know four valicates it can do that but if you already have like two in play and you just need mountains you can this just copy one of your mountains and get a, a bajillion triggers. Yeah, you're dead. Uh, my my first thought of what land to copy with it was, is probably worse, but more fun, and that is Lotus Field. <laughs> but like at that point, you're just winning more, right? Like if you're making this much mana, like you probably should be winning, and like playing this probably card doesn't do much else. That's why yeah. I said it was worse, Cannon. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I, look, I'm going down the thought process. You okay? All right, give me <laughs> yeah. that. But right. maybe this is a. Uh, I, I I wonder what other lands we. Uh, this is another card that will, will require a search. Like, what other lands can we can we copy so, that are really cool? Someone's gonna let us know. Some some we have much smarter people than us in our Discord. Yeah, and Twitter. Like, they're gonna let us know. Getting more creature lands doesn't make sense because they're all you know already gonna be three threes. If you activate, it'll override the base power also toughness. They're, also, they're sick when they come into play. Yeah. as well. So. Um, what else? Um, while you think about that, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna read the next card. Okay, or I'll give you a second. No, I, I, I can't I can't think of it. Okay. Next is Rocco Streets Chef. This is uh Naya. Green uh green, red, white. It's a legendary creature elf druid, so another elf. At the beginning of your instep, each player exiles the top card of their library until your next instep, each player may play the card they exile this way. So your opponent's gonna get first crack at it, just so you know. Um it says whenever a player plays a land from exile or casts a spell from exile, put a plus and most one counter on target creature and create a food token. So that's that's why it's okay that they get the first crack at it. Is if they play or use that card, you get some value from it as well. Um, what do you think? Beginning with your end step to have this. Yeah, um, I'm allergic to giving my opponents free value sure. in basically any way. Sure. I just can't. I know. 
<laughs> this right. is definitely a, this is obviously designed for commander where you get to be the friendly person at the table, right? Like, yeah, it's like a group hugish type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody gets well, cards, but you're gonna give me a bunch of food tokens, and then you figure out something busted to do with all the food tokens. Yeah, there's gonna be something with it, but but nobody's ever gonna target yeah. you, so you get to build up. Like sure. this is just playing the the politics of commander. All right, but in so a two player game, you just you can't give your opponent free stuff. Agreed. So uh, the next one, we got three cards from Kamigawa, and these are pretty sweet. I like these. Uh, first one is Blot Out. It's two and a black instant. Target opponent exiles a creature or planeswalker they control. The greatest mana value among creatures or planeswalkers they control. Um, this is a pretty good removal spell. It's an instant for two and a black. It gets usually their best thing, and exile is relevant. So I could definitely see this one showing up as like a one or two in some like control decks or whatever. The black decks already have a ton of removal, though, is the thing. So it just matters what kind of need it fits somewhere. Yeah, this is definitely, you know, that's just what the way removal is now. Unless it's like the really good one mana removal, it becomes sort of, if it's good against what pe threats people are playing, I play it. If it's not, I don't play it. But yeah, I think this so, meets the threshold where it's in the conversation. Oh, 100% agree. The only thing that I think that like really starts to make me want this one more is once I start looking at some of the previews here and what's going on in standard, there's a lot of decent creatures that have ward. In this, in these sets and in standard, and there's like a bunch in this one as well, and things that gets off ward. So this just gets around that, which is nice. Yeah, as getting well. around ward and hexproof and yeah. all those things, and obviously you know dealing with planeswalkers. Crackling Doom was a premium removal spell at yeah. one point in standard. This is it's a, a really much easier point. to cast the spell that can also hit planeswalkers. It's a great, great point. And like exiles instead of sacrificing, which can be relevant against certain oh, things. Oh, hundred percent. This next one's a really cool one too. This is Death Rattle Oni. It's six and a black for a five four demon spirit. It's got flash. The spell costs two less for each creature that died this turn. And then when it enters the battlefield, destroy all other creatures that were dealt damage this turn. I could see maybe playing this in some kind of like the red-black sacrifice deck or anything like that. Also, like, just if combat ever happens and you attack with a creature and your opponent trades, this thing is two and a black, flash, five, four. Destroy all other creatures that were dealt damage this turn. Yeah, the awkward thing is that you need stuff to have already died to cast it cheaply, and then right. how much left is going to die once you cast it? Yes. So I, there's a tension there that I don't like. I think this is this is the kind of card that I think is going to trick people, because there are going to be spots where it is absolutely out of this world unbelievable. But there's going to be too many mad. spots where it's just a 7-mana 5-4, or like a 5-mana five, 5-4 five that sure. doesn't do a whole lot. Maybe... Sure. Uh, so I, I'm not a fan, but I'm I'm imagining seeing somebody tweet out like a, a you know a screenshot of a of a Some moto board, game yeah. where it just decimates them, especially in limited. Oh yeah, I, I don't know if this set is draftable in any way, or it, if this gets it, maybe it, it is somehow. I don't know how, but they'll probably do like two two packs of mom and then a pack of this. Yeah, or like two pack like maybe it's two packs of mom, two packs of this. Or maybe it's three packs of mom, one pack of this. I don't know. They'll figure something out, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, It'll be Arena, I'm sure. The next one is a card that uh, I think Yeoman5, one of our, you know, listeners, shout out to Yeoman, he, uh, he was talking about, he liked this one on Twitter. It says, Nashi Moon's Legacy. It's a bug creature, so it's black, green, blue. That's it. It's a legendary creature, Rat Shaman. It's a 3-4 with Menace and Ward 1. And then whenever it attacks, exile up to one target legendary or rat card from your graveyard. Copy it. You may cast the copy. This is some value here, Ross. And green, black, blue. This is the kind of card we've seen really kind of shine in those in those things the last couple years. Lots of ways to mill yourself. Lots of ways to get stuff in your graveyard for value. And then your games are generally going a little bit longer as well. So, a card like this could maybe even take over at some point. 
Yeah, I wouldn't even go too hard in trying to yeah. enable it. Agreed. I think you, your opponent is going to kill your creatures. They're going to trade in combat, and then this card is going to set up to generate some value. So I, I like this card just because it's you know something you mentioned earlier. It's a card that rewards you for playing magic. Yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah, know, creatures end up in the graveyard pretty regularly, uh, and it's a three-drop that gains more value as the game goes on because the, there there'll be more options in the graveyard and, and more value to gain even right. late in the late uh so and the st the stats are good so i i don't know exactly what kind of home it has but it's a cool card all right so next we have callheim has some cards as well arnie metal brow is a two to red uh legendary human berserker it's a 3-3, three, three, and it says, Whenever a creature you control attacks, or a creature enters the battlefield under your control attacking, you may pay one to red. If you do, you may put a creature card of mana value less than that creature's mana value from your hand onto the battlefield, tapped, and attacking. Did you get that, Ross? Yeah, so it's sort of a 5-drop, right? You want to play this card on turn 5. You know, it's hybrid 3 and 5, I guess. And then attack with, with a 4-drop, and you know, pay the two mana and then put another, uh, to say less than or equal. No, just less. So then you get to put another three drop into play. Right. And th and that's like the, the ideal curve with it. Mm -hmm. I do like cards that can play double duty on your curve in aggressive decks, because much like ramp decks, they also trade a lot on their consistency and their ability to just be really mana efficient on the early turns. Um, that said, the ability I think plays out a lot worse than it reads um, I agree with that. Because you you need to have you know your four drop live in order to put a three drop into play with it, and if your three drop lives, then you only get to put a two drop in with it. Um, so it just kind of gets progressively worse the lower your curve is, and it wants to go in decks that already have a low curve. Mm -hmm. Next is Cosmic Rebirth. This is one green white. It's an instant. It says choose, tar choose target permanent card in your graveyard. If it has a mana value three or less, you may put it on the battlefield. If you don't, put it on the battlefield. Put it in your hand. You gain three life. I kind of like this card. It's an instant that can like kind of surprise the middle of combat. You know, put some stuff into play at instant speed at the end of turns, or it goes and gets the best thing in your graveyard. You gain three life, and then you get to play it again. So it's a little expensive at three mana, but you can get back all kinds of stuff with this. Yeah, I like that you can play it sort of early and or middle and get just like your mana value out of it and get that immediate value. But it scales as the game goes along. Because you don't really care about getting it onto the battlefield versus in your hand when you have six, eight, ten lands in play in a long game. Um, so that part becomes diminished, but then you get the option to just return something better, some five, six, seven mana card, and immediately cast it. So I like that uh, aspect of the card. It still seems a little bit below par in terms of power level. Sure. But maybe uh, there's enough good is... sagas. Sure. This one says Feast of the Victorious Dead. Great name, by the way. This would be like a cool band name or something. Feast of the Victorious Dead. White and a black enchantment. In the beginning of your end step, if one or more creatures die this turn, you gain that much life and distribute that many plus one, plus one, plus one counters among creatures you control. What do you think? So like a sacrifice-y token deck? Mm -hmm. The kind of issue is like, where are you putting the counters? Because all your creatures in those kinds of decks are tokens that you want to sacrifice. So are you just stacking them on one token and making one big threat while you're doing all your sacrificing elsewhere and forcing them to use spot removal that they don't really want to have in their deck? I guess that makes sense. Um, sure. But it's my issue is that it's a card that requires a lot of other things to be going on in order to be good. 
Like, you need to have the sacrifice engine up, and it doesn't really help you get the engine up. So, it's very much a card that only wants to play in matchups where your opponent isn't disrupting you that much. And one of the benefits of these sacrifice decks is that they do often play well against those style of decks. So, I, I'm not sure if it, you know, if it's it feels like a win more kind of card to me. I, I guess that's the best way of putting it. But... You know, maybe that's the kind of thing that you need in certain matchups to be able to go tall while you're also going wide. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually kind of like this next card, even though it's really weird. Uh, this is from Kaladesh. It's PNLR, Console of the Road. Uh, I was going to say, it's really small. Whatever. Anyway. Console of Red Revival. Is it Revival? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I have this on my other screen. Ross looks at me. I'm I'm sure you can see. I look like an old man looking at this, right? I'm like <laughs> squinting and looking across the way. Yeah, you're All just right. like, God, where are my glasses? I need my glasses. <laughs> yeah. All right. Be the, so PNLR. This is red and white, legendary creature, human artificer. It's a 2-3. It says, Thopters you control have haste. Whenever you play a land from exile or cast a spell from exile, create a 1-1 one, one Thopter, colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying. You may have noticed that theme was on almost every card I've read so far from the spoiler. Plus, every form of card advantage I've read lately has been like exile do some stuff. Yeah. This that's... is still a two three for, for two that and there are other there are other ways to make Thopter stuff as well. Um here's the thing. I don't think it's like broken or anything, but like I could maybe see a mid range deck where you want this thing to go and that that's your card advantage. I don't know how good it is, but I just think this card's cool. I like it too. I immediately just want to play with Showdown of the Scalds. Uh, yeah, I was thinking something al along the same. Yeah, yeah. PNLR Showdown. Let's go. Yep. Build your own thing. All right. Uh, we got a couple Ixalong cards in here. These are these are some sweet ones as well. These are more like uncommons and stuff too, but they're interesting ones. Um, I don't think the white uh, uncommon dinosaur is going to be a thing. But like, I'll just talk about it for like two seconds. Three and a white vigilance. Whenever it deals damage to a player, return to an artifact or enchantment card from your graveyard to the battlefield. And it's a 2-5. It's probably not good enough for Constructed, but like, in Limited, this seems like a sweet card. Yeah, completely agree. The next one, though, I think this could be an interesting sideboard card. Filter out. One blue-blue instant. Return all non-creature, non-land permanents to their owner's hands. It's an instant. So this is like, mini upheaval instant-wise. So against the right deck, this is a sideboard card, you should be like, yeah, pick it up. Like, restart all your shit. If it's a, if it's a non-creature deck, if it's, if it's like a combo-ish, like set up a bunch of artifact type deck things, you just set up a few things, like, you know the decks that need a lot, the people at Commander are gonna fucking hate this card, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. They are gonna really hate this card. They hate Cyclotogriff, and this is just a cheaper version of Cyclotogriff against certain decks. They're gonna be like, soaring into like, all this, you know, mana artifacts, all this stuff, set up my stuff, put my, put my Planeswalker into play, go, you're gonna be like, pick it all up. Like, all of it. You know, start over. You know, kind of thing. See, so you're trying to use it defensively, and I'm just over here trying to figure out what the you know, yeah, mana artifacts I can play with it to, yeah. to float combo? a bunch of mana and yeah. go on, like go off in a combo deck. I'm like, okay, so I've got Kinnan, I've got Mox Amber, I've got sure. Prophetic Prisms, because then I can just redraw cards with the Prisms when I recast them. And Ross is so excited right now. Yeah. I wish I could see him. That that's what I want to do with the card. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next one. This one's actually kind of cool. I like this one. This is Tranquil Frillback. So it's two and a green. It's a dinosaur as a three three. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay green up to three times. So this just has multi kicker. When you pay that cost one or more times, choose up to that many that has three choices. Destroy target artifact enchantment. Exile target player's graveyard. You gain four life. I kind of like this card, Ross. 
Like, this seems like a pretty cool cyborg card in a lot of matchups. Like, against, you know, the aggro decks, you're like, play this 3-3, try to gain a bunch of extra life. Like, even on turn 4, you're like, play 3-3, gain 4 life. That's not bad. But if you, like, get to play this, and against a deck, you're like, destroy multiple of your artifacts or enchantments or something like that. Like, yeah, it's mana intensive, but I like cards like this that have, like, flexibility and diversity, because this is something that, like, in your creature deck, you're talking about, like, this green, you know, legendary creature deck with, like, Mox Amber stuff, but this would be a good sideboard card for the deck because it's going to fill in, it's going to be good enough in so many matchups that it can take up a slot or two in your sideboard. Yeah, this is the card that sort of rounds it out so you, yeah. you know, you get your extra card against aggro decks, you know, to deal with problematic artifacts and enchantments and against graveyard decks all in one. Um, I also, you know, ob obviously it has to get templated in the way it did as opposed to having a multi-kicker because multi-kicker, like, you know, just does the same thing every time you kick it. And this yeah. is trying to do different things, but because it's templated that way, um, you can also, you know, hit it off of collected company and then it triggers and you get to pay the extra mana to do things. Ooh. You can also find it off of, um, 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 you know, the card that I'm thinking enigmatic incarnation. So like they play, they, they play a night of autumn, right? So that, and th I think this card just immediately replaces night of autumn in that deck. Sure. Now you get, you know, sometimes you get to do all of them at once. Sometimes you find it and you get to, you know, uh, you get to exile their graveyard uh, if that's relevant. So I think it, you know, already, d you know, just does that. Uh, and then, you know, instead of being a 2-1 when you do all of the utility things like Night of Autumn, it's a 3-3. That's a sig significant upgrade. So, yeah, I, I like this card quite a bit. I'm with you. Just that flexibility is always super valuable okay. and plays better than it reads. I love, I love cards like this. The next one that we're going to talk about here real quick, I think this one could maybe possibly slot into Esper Legends in Standard right away, and this is Goldforge uh, Thopteryx. It's kind of a cool name, because this is an artifact creature, Dinosaur Thopter. <laughs> it's a word that I never thought yeah, I'd say. It, it's, never... it's like an Archaeopteryx. Yeah, ar sure. The dinosaur. Sure. Yeah. All right, so it's, it's it was a, a late dinosaur tannin. Sure, cool. I'm, I'm going to ignore that. All right, so it's a... <laughs> Sorry, I love you. So it's a 1-3 flying lifelink, and it says each legendary permanent you control has War 2. So yeah. this is just, this is something that fills in a little bit that you could possibly play depending on what the metagame looks like in your Esper Legend decks, because it's a decent enough 2-drop, right? It's a 1-3 flying uh, creature that has lifelink, so like it's kind of relevant. Like it can attack, you know, give you a little bit of a life buffer. Decent enough against the aggro decks, like the mono red decks in standard that have a lot of like 1-1 one, one flyers that have haste, a lot of 2-2s that have haste. It blocks well against those. And then when you play like your, you know, your your other legendary, you know, two drops or three drops. Some of them have ward, but then they have more ward or they don't have ward yet. And it's just gonna it's going to make your opponent have to play in a way that they don't want to play. The body's not the greatest ever, but I think this is a card that could possibly show up in some of these spots. Yeah, uh, especially because the card in Esper that it's gonna protect is Rafine. You know, uh -huh. even more than Rafine already has ward, you'll you'll have ward one and ward two. So that's effectively ward three. Yep. Um and if you're able to, you know, protect the Rafine, then you're going to connive on this body anyway. And it's a great card to connive onto. Yeah. That, as a that actually, like, I didn't even think about it like that. Like, here's the thing. With Rafine, I always forget that it has the 17th ability on it and does just <laughs> everything. And so, like, yeah, if you're just like, all right, make this thing a 2-4, now it doesn't die to most of the removal spells. Plus, like, also this thing's an artifact, so you can't go for its throat as well. So, like, yeah, yeah, you can abrade it, but, like, you know, your over, your removal spells are already being worked over time in the matchup, so I like this card a lot. I think this is a card that like looks innocuous and could show up quite a bit in standard. I'm um, I'm with you. I, I 
I hadn't thought about that. And when you brought it up, it, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it just curves really well, right? Like, that's the biggest thing. We see a lot of cards in Standard that... We've seen this so many times in Standard, right? Where a card gets previewed. Like, think about our top eight list. Or like, yeah, this card is inherently very powerful and very good. And it never finds a home because the decks around it don't work well. Or it's just another... It's a superfluous, like, four-drop in decks where it's just like, well, it's already got a bunch of four-drops that work better with what it's got. And yeah. it just doesn't fit. You know what I mean? And this one feels like it's going to fit. The next two are from Innistrad. I like both these cards. It, it, it's also the card in here that I was talking about earlier. I didn't remember if it was official or not. The first one is Markov Baron. So it's two and a black for a Vampire Noble. That's a 2-2. Two -two. It has Convoke. It has Lifelink. It says other vampires you're controlling at plus one plus one. And it has Madness for two and a black. Ross, that's a lot of stuff onto a 2-2 two, two for three. Yes. And this is a card that it all of its abilities play well together. Um... Really, okay, I shouldn't say all. Real, the, but the two best Most. abilities play well together, and that's the Convoke part that lets you cheat on mana, and the Anthem part. Right. Every time you play an Anthem, you want to spread the battlefield with creatures. Yep. What's a good ability when you have a battlefield full of cheap creatures? Convoke. Convoke, yeah. So, internally consistent. I think there there's enough like good vampires around that you might be able to build a deck with like a couple more. Yeah. You know, tribal decks are always about getting to that like critical mass of just good individual cards to fill out the 60 card deck list. And we're getting kind of close with the vampires in pioneer. So this is, you it know, was, that was a deck for a while. Don't forget. That was like, like an actual deck for a while that put up some decent results. Yeah. But it was more of a, this would be a very different a style. That, sure, that deck was, sure. was a mid range deck. Mid range. Yeah. Grind yeah, this, fest, yeah. Um, though, it was the jund of the format. Honestly, yeah. it was very much the jund of the format. Yeah. That said, this is a deck that instead of going into, you know, the the four four that draws a bunch of cards with Sorum, because you'd still play Sorum because Sorum's busted. Yeah. Uh you could put in Sanctum Seeker if you're right. you know and, and get really aggressive. That's what I, I've been trying to do with those style of decks. But this is a card that also, slots really well into that style, the very low to the ground, hyper aggressive vampires, and I'd be excited about it. Also, I mean like Madness isn't something to scoff at too. Like if you could make any kind of value off of it, that's actually really good as well. Uh, the next card, a card that I'm pretty excited about, uh, it slots into a deck right away, but I do think this card is powerful. But like I said, you'll see why I say that we have to see if this card. This is Sagarda Font of Blessings. Two green-white, so it's a four-drop. This is the big thing for me, but two green-white, a legendary angel. It's a 4-4 four, four flyer. Other permanents you control have X-proof. You may look at the top card of your library time. You may cast angel spells and human spells from the top of your library. So obviously... This actually, this actually can can stop and fix one of the problems that the Angels deck has had in Pioneer, where if you don't just like you know spam a bunch of Angels on the board, they're like, hey, kill one, like attack you, and you're like play another, like kill it, attack you. You know, you never get the whole like critical mass of Angels out. You could lose those games. This is really good against the matchups where they're trying to like one for one you down or kill a bunch of your Angels or something because this is one that you can play. It protects the other ones or. If the game's getting later, it can create some kind of card advantage. The biggest drawback, obviously, is the four drop, so you can't collect a company into this. But uh, it, it, am I wrong? I, I kind of like this card. Um, yeah, it's a powerful card. Uh, my issue is like it's a four drop in decks that aren't going to be very welcoming to a four drop. Sure. So I'd, it's a question of how many you can fit into the deck. You know, the, obviously the the Angels deck is a collective company deck. It doesn't really want to play four-minute creatures. The top of its curve is uh, Reconstruction and Company. So it's, you know, how much space do you have for more fours in that deck? How much space do you have for fours at the top of your curve in a yeah. sort of human deck? Um, it's definitely really powerful. 
and I think, but I just don't. I mean, a three mana would be utterly insane. That yeah, and three, it, we get a three mana two two, and I'm like, I'm buying this yeah, whole thing. It would be awesome. So yeah. I, I'm just worried about it being a four drop, sure. uh, but it is more than worth a look because it is a very very powerful chart for those decks. I was kind of trying to speed up. I want to get through all these cards. The show's getting long. All right, Ikoria has some really cool ones uh, come up as well. This one's Copper Coat Vanguard. One in the white for a human soldier, 2-2. Two, two. Each other human you control gets plus one plus zero and has reward one. Seems great in any kind of buy human type deck. Now you, like, can't pick off the humans at the correct amount of mana. If it's Thalia as well, now, like, you're paying infinite extra tax, and it's a mini anth effect. Yeah, not sure if it's better than uh, Aspirant. Yeah, sure. the, the human decks already have Lieutenant Thalia. It's not better than those. Is it better than an Aspirant? In some matchups, yes, but not sure. maybe. Yeah. Uh, going along those themes, we have... Uh, Jer- How would you pronounce his name? Jarena? Uh, Jer- yeah, so th- whatever. It's a, the Dauntless General. It's white and a black, legendary creature, human soldier, 2-2. When it enters the battlefield, XL target player's graveyard. You can sacrifice her. Humans you control gain hexproof and indestructible in a turn. You've talked a lot about black-white humans. I kind of like this card. At the least, it's a cyber card to remove graveyards from graveyard synergy effects, and then it also helps you against the card that is like the hardest for you to beat in Wrath effects. Yeah, I'm I'm in for, for you know it's pretty straightforward what the card does, but it does yeah. a lot of good things. <laughs> yeah, this is just a good role player. It's also just a two two for two, and it's in the black white, so you could play. Uh, what's the general's name? General Kudo. What's his uh, the black white? General Kudro of Dranith. Yeah, sure. Speaking of Dranith, Dranith has the runes in this as well. It's a land. It taps at a colorless. You can pay two and tap it. Put two plus a blue counters on target non-human creature that entered the battlefield this turn. Uh, yeah. yeah. Orin Reef was already, like, sometimes tough to use. You and needed an extra mana to get a counter. Needing three extra mana after yep. playing a creature, n- not going to work. Uh, the next card we're talking about, this is on Eldrain. They reprinted a card here that is extremely expensive in Commander. I don't know if it'll do anything broken in standard. There's a chance, but anybody in here that's commander favorite, uh, if you were looking to get this card and haven't yet, it's gonna be you're gonna be happy with this because it's also just a rare. It's called Training Grounds. One blue enchantment, activated abilities of creatures control costs two less to activate. This can't reduce the mana and that costs to less than one mana. So uh this just goes infinite with a lot of stuff. Yeah, it does a lot of really, really broken stuff. Harder to yeah. do in standard where you're playing one-on-one games. However, in commander, this card's broken. Yeah, clearly a commander reprint, though. There yep. is all those, uh, you know, like two drops in the most recent set that transform. Mm-hmm. And That's good. It is, oh, it's only only creatures. I was going to say, if it was artifacts, it, it would be kind of cool with all the, the Phyrexia. Broken, dude. It'd be yeah. so broken. All right. Next is, uh, there's a two drop in here. It's one of the black. It's a human knight. It's a two-two. It has menace. Uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, if it has fewer than four plus and plus one counters on it, put a plus and plus one counter on it. Then if it has exactly four plus and plus one counters on it, search your library for a card, put it in your hand, shuffle. It's a win more card to me, but if it ever triggers, it's just, you know, demonic tutor. But this yeah. is a 2-2 two, two menace that keeps growing every turn. So on the play in standard, this is going to be hard to beat if you can't kill it right away. Yeah, but everybody, you know, can kill it and... I guess just being a two drop that they like have to kill is kind of nice. It's also I a wouldn't nice, go out of my problem. way to like stack counters on this, trying to play to it because I I don't want to put all my eggs in this basket and then have them just you know wipe it out with a removal have- spell. But I, I would just use it as a way to sort of you know get the target away from maybe more immediately mm-hmm. powerful threats. Also, you can't just put four plus one counters on a demonic tutor. It's it's when it deals combat to it damage to a player and then checks yeah so you have to have, so that have to put three on it then attack get the counter yeah. when it connects and then it has yeah. the fourth 
Uh, also, it is a human knight, so there's a lot of stuff in there to, you know, possibly have it in those kind of decks. Next is a card that I think we talked about, like, two months ago. Just got previewed or spoiled forever ago. The Kenneth's Royal Funeral. It's two white-black legendary enchantment. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, exile the two target legendary creature cards from your graveyard. You draw X cards and lose X life, or X is the greatest mana value card among cards exiled this way. Legendary spells you cast cost one less to cast for each card exiled with this. Um, that's a lot going on. I'm I'm kind of in for this card in yeah. Asper Legends as at least like a sideboard card in in those attrition oriented matchups. Because one of the yeah. one of the perils of playing cards, um, you know, like this that's four mana doesn't impact the battlefield, and you're just drawing a bunch of cards, and especially when you're losing life, is you kind of fall too far behind on the on board. But when it also then just reduces the cost of a lot of the cards that you're drawing, you sort of make it up in the ensuing one or two turns by you know, spewing onto the battlefield and playing two, three, four spells over that time period and catching back up. And now you've, you know, reached parity on the battlefield and you're way up on cards. So okay. I, I kind of like how this plays. I don't want to play it in high numbers, but I, I kind of like the idea of just drawing the first copy. Mm -hmm. All right, back to Dominaria for a few more cards. Talarian Contempt. Three blue-blue enchantment. Enters the battlefield, put a rejection counter on it for each creature your opponent controls. At the beginning of your end step, for each opponent, Choose up to one target creature they control with their rejection counter on them. That creature's control owner puts it on top or bottom of his library. It's a little slow for me. Um, yeah, so like you put counters on all the stuff they have, and yep. then in the end step you get to pick whichever one you, you yep. like the most or like the least, and it goes to they either it's put it on top or bottom, or bottom and then you just yep. keep doing that. Yeah, it just feels really slow, especially because you're doing it on your end step well, instead of like on well. their draw step. So they yep. get to immediately redraw the creature yep. if they really want it. Yep. That is a big problem. I, I think if it always put it on the bottom or if it like triggered on their draw step, yeah, it would almost be better. Uh, next card from Dominaria is, is one that I think can actually do some really cool stuff in Legacy. I'll talk about it for a second. This is Vesuvian Drifter. Two and a blue, Shapeshifter. It's a 2-4 flying. If you look at the top card of your library at any time, at the beginning of each combat, you may reveal the top card of your library if you reveal a creature card this way, this becomes a copy of the cards alone turn, except it has flying. Ross, can you imagine turn wanting this in Legacy, and on turn two you cast Brainstorm and put either Gristlebrand or Imbricool on top of your deck and attack with this? It's also a 2-4, so it doesn't die to Lightning Bolt. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, it's like, because remember, I remember playing against, uh, like, Sneak and Show a lot back in the day, and like, Spell Pierce was actually a good card against them and stuff like that, right? And this gets around the the ways to stop, you know, show and tell and to stop uh, sneak attack. The problem is it's blue, so it does die to red metal blast. But the thing is, it, it becomes a copy of the creature at the beginning of combat as well. So Annihilator will trigger as well from Emberclaw. Yeah, if it can can attack. So with Emberclaw, you got to wait a turn. So I kind of like it more with Gristlebrand, where like you could just play this on turn four and then brainstorm. And, uh, and just turned it into Gristle Brain immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, Interesting. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. So but maybe that way. I mean, it it's also just a, a it might be just a good cyborg card for show and tell decks because it's a card yeah. that lets you get your creatures yeah. without having to resolve a non creature spell, without having to put it onto the battlefield if yep. if they have things that like you know they cheat you that way. This. Yeah, they have to they have to answer this as well. So yeah. it's like it's got over overload sword uh, swords decks and the swords uh, matchups. So, I, I like I like it as a cyber card in the yeah. in the Chantel decks. 
I started thinking about this. I was like, yo, this card actually does some stuff. So, all right, after that, we have Herbor Scavengers, two and a black for it's a spirit, it's a 2 2. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, exile target cards from a graveyard, from a graveyard, put a plus one scounder on it. Um, it has flying as long as this card that was exiled with it had flying. The same is true for first strike, double strike, death touch, haste, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, trample, and vigilance. Actually, this is pretty cool. So it's technically like a 3 3 for 3, because it's going to, if it exiles any card, it gets a plus one plus one counter on it. But if, it, if you hit creatures in these matchups, it can do some stuff. So, like, this is another um, one of those, like, three drop, you know, interact with your opponent's graveyard type things like Trespasser, where in some matchups it might do more. So, when Trespasser is gone, this is a card that can maybe fill that role. Yeah, I saw Yeoman5 on Twitter talking about it in uh, Soul Flayer decks. Yeah, right? exactly. I was like, this is a mini Soul Flayer, yeah. I think just, just cast Grizzly Salvage, put Zatalpa in your graveyard, cast this thing, exile Zatalpa, and like, you've got a really powerful card. Yeah, um, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see if, if Soul Flayer decks get a boost in, in Pioneer as a result. There's a, uh, there's a Human Knight in this one as well. It's one green and a white for legendary creature Human Knight. It's a 2-2. Two, two. It's a Vigilance, tra Vigilance Trample and Lifelike. Then once during each of your turns, you may cast an Aura Equipment spell from your graveyard. If that's the kind of deck you're building, you know, we were talking about these earlier, this is one that'll help you out in those attrition matchups quite quite a bit. Yeah, but it's still a three-mana card in decks yep. that don't yep. want to play many threes. Yep. Or any. Uh, Is this, like, is this card, hold on, is this the Box Topper or something? One of them is. Are the Box Toppers still the, legal? I have the, no idea the how Jarell it works. Voice of Zalifer, this is a Box Topper card? I think it might be. All right, I'm just going to read the card anyway. Two green, blue, legendary creature, human druid. At the beginning of common turn, up to one target land you control becomes an XX green and blue bird creature with flying and haste to low turn. Where X is the number of cards in your hand, it's still a land. Whenever a land creature you control deals damage to a player, draw a card. This is pretty good. This only gives you some immediate value right away when you play it. You know, it, like I'm not saying it's great for standard, but like you play this card, you immediately turn some some land into a big flying creature. You probably can't do it on okay. turn four. This card's busted and limited, but so we'll it's see about so it's so really a five drop. Yeah, it's really a five drop. That like needs your creature to connect. It doesn't have an ETB, and it's only three yeah. toughness. Doesn't really play sure. defense. This feels like a commander card to me. I just don't yeah. uh, like. They're going to be you know games where it looks really good in a constructed setting, but sure. way too many where it's just a four mana you know expensive yeah. card that dies or like you drew one card off of yeah. it and just doesn't do a whole lot. So that was the buy a box promo. There's also a bundle promo here. The spark rupture. It's two and a white. It's enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Each planeswalker with one or more loyalty counters on it loses all abilities and is a creature with power toughest equal to the number of loyalty counters on it. This is a card I guess you could use offensively and defensively, but if you have a <laughs> yeah. bunch of, but if you have a bunch of numbers on it, aren't you winning anyway? Because your planeswalkers have all like plus to new, and I don't know. Yeah, that that was my question: is is this a card that you play against planeswalkers or with planeswalkers? And mm -hmm. with planeswalkers, it's got to be win more, right? Because mm -hmm. you know the more when you have a bunch of planeswalkers in play, you're probably winning. And yeah. there just aren't a ton of planeswalkers around these days. Yeah, you know, well they're it, losing sparks, bro. Maybe it's a neat one where like you're not losing advantage, or if you're like an enchantment based deck. But like, why don't you just sell, like Oblivion Ring it? You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's. But I don't think it cantripping is enough to offset some of the other issues with it. Sure, I can see that as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's actually it for the spoilers as far as because I just went up and I, I saw another one that had like five cards. We've already talked about all these. It's showing yeah. the. You have Borderless, you have Planar, which means like the cards look like they do from their plane. You have Extended, Foil Etched, and Retro. I guess the Retro card looks pretty 
retro artifacts just hit, man. Like they yeah. just hit you right. Uh, they just never should have started making artifacts silver. Was, yeah, they, they exactly. You just you just can't be brown. <laughs> Mono brown down. I love it. All right, but uh, I think that's gonna do it for this week's episode. We'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. It'll probably be after you know the the pro tour this weekend, and we'll have a lot to talk about, Roth, and I'll have a lot to talk about from very up close and personal at the pro tour because I'm gonna yeah. be in the feature match area every day. I want, I want stories. I'll have a few. I'm probably going to hang out with Corey quite a bit, you know, stuff like that. I'm going to be shaking no. a lot of hands and trying to make a lot of friends. So I already see Corey enough. I want stories involving not Corey. Mm-hmm. Unless they're incredibly embarrassing and then I want all of them. All right, I'll try to get at least one. So, But for everybody, thanks for listening. We're really sorry about the big break. I know it sucked. I'm sorry. Um, also, I don't know if you noticed, if you've been in the Discord recently, uh, the chef is back recently oh. and posted a lot of food pics. And uh, he's one of my favorite people in the Patreon. When he posts food pics, I always get immediately very hungry. So uh, He might even be in Minneapolis. I don't know. I know he lives up in that area. So uh, if you're listening to this... Yeah, I thought he was in Detroit. And you're in... Yeah, as I was saying, if you're in the area, yeah. come by and say hi. But anyway, until next week, thanks for Ross. Thanks for me. Thanks for listening. 